Good morning, SunWest. Welcome to Church at Home. It's great to be with you. Uh, and we know that these days we're doing more than just church at home. You're doing life at home. You're doing work at home. Everything's happening at home. And, uh, and there's some great things about that. And there's some very frustrating things about that. I know for me, as I've been uh, inside in my house for long periods of time over the last month, uh, I've had to break up a number of fights uh, between my boys. And it just seems to be ramping up. And it just, you know, my... Uh, my oldest son and my youngest son got into it uh, last week and uh, they came inside from the trampoline and uh, things were escalating and, uh, and I had to go in and break up this fight and uh, it was consequence time because I, I felt like this had been going on long enough. It was time for me to get a little bit more extreme in how I was handling uh, the brotherly conflict and so I said, uh, you have a number of punishments coming your way. Uh, the first one is that dad gets to give you a haircut. And so that evening, I took them and I sat them down and I began to cut their hair. And so here's a, here's a bit of a picture of me in action, giving my oldest son a haircut. Uh, and he was a pretty willing participant. Uh, but my youngest son uh, was not as willing. And uh, here's a couple of uh, pictures of, of him in action. Uh, he sat there and took it, uh, but wasn't that thrilled about it. And here, here's the end result for my oldest son. Kind of went with the half and half. Uh, and uh, they had to live with that for a few days. And my youngest son, I, I just shaved a big uh, spot on the top of his head, uh, which was why he was crying. But when he realized that he could actually make this his own and turn it into his own kind of style... Uh, he was quite thrilled about it. So the next day uh, when I woke up, he came down all smiles and, uh, and hair gelled totally out to the side. And, and uh, my punishment towards him has actually turned back on me because now he's convinced that he wants to keep his hair this way uh, and wants to spend his money uh, on Amazon to order a clown nose. Uh, so this might be my foreseeable future. Um, but it has been an adventure, to say the least, and I, it probably has for you as well. I hope there's been a good times of connecting and laughter in the midst of everything going on in our world. Uh, but these are unprecedented times. You know, even for us as we do church and we do church at home, you know, there's something novel about it as, as we start it. But uh, as time goes on, we realize that this is not ideal. And, uh, you know, it, honestly, for me as a pastor, uh, talking to a camera, um, is, is not ideal. It feels like we are missing a vital part of what it means to be the body of Christ together, to, mean, to be the church. Uh, but I hope uh, that there's glimpses and there's uh, pieces of what it means to do life together as we, we, we try and do this, uh, given our current circumstances. Uh, I also know that there's, there's been many situations among our Sun West family uh, in this time that have been, uh, it's been amplified. The pain of it's been amplified because of the season that we're in. We've had uh, Sun Westers that have uh, actually, multiple sunwesters that have lost loved ones in this time, and so you think of what that means in terms of the grieving process, uh, in terms of uh, not being able to have a funeral and not being able to have loved ones and family members around in the way that we could uh, in normal times. Uh, and uh, and we understand that that has been uh, quite a quite a challenge. Uh, there's some sunwesters uh, that uh, quite a number that are getting married this summer, and some of them are, you know, canceling weddings or are trying to do weddings in a creative way in light of the times that we are in. Uh, 
Uh, and then we think even beyond our family and what happened in Nova Scotia uh, this past week. Uh, and obviously that is not related to COVID, but uh, maybe in some ways it is. We know that uh, that COVID is not just affecting us physically, uh, but there's a, a mental and emotional toll uh, that is taking on individuals and is taking on our country and on the world. Um, and so we just recognize that this is not ideal, uh, that there's blessings in this time as we step back from maybe the busyness of life, but there's also hard things going on in this time as well. And uh, and so let's continue to journey together. Uh, let's continue to communicate and engage, uh, whether it's on groups or on our weekend services, uh, phone calls, text, and, uh, and seek to follow Jesus and love each other well uh, during uh, this season together. I think Mark 5 is a timely word for such a season as this. Uh, as I've mentioned, Mark was written for a church that was suffering, a church that was troubled. And, and as I'm rereading this, uh, book over again. Uh, I'm just uh, so impressed and encouraged by the timelessness of God's Word and that what was written for a group of people a couple thousand years ago uh, is equally encouraging for us today. Uh, and so today we're going to look at uh, the last portion of text uh, that we didn't cover last week from Mark chapter 5. And the title this week is, When God is Too Late. When God is Too Late. I don't know if you've ever experienced uh, times in your life where you feel like God didn't show up, or if he did show up, it was too late, or there was the circumstances that happened that were irreversible. Uh, but this is the context um, and the application, uh, I think, of what we're left to wrestle with uh, in Mark chapter 5. And so as we dive into the text, uh, just to remind ourselves that, uh, you know, this is the area that the story is taking place with at the beginning of Mark that we've been in. Uh, you know, so we are uh, up here on this, this northern lake, uh, the Lake of Gennesaret, and uh, and uh, just as a you know by way of um, so you have a bit of a bit of context. Uh, you have Jericho uh, down here, and you have Jerusalem uh, over here, right? And so as Mark goes on, we'll see that uh, that Jesus is going to travel. Uh, but at this point, he's been uh, basically uh, working around this lake. And and the last episode, uh, the last story we talked about last week. Uh, with the man who is possessed by demons, uh, let's zoom in here, took place over here on the Gentile uh, side of the lake. And uh, Jesus started his ministry over here in Capernaum. He goes over here uh, in last week's story. And now he's uh, jumping back in the boat uh, to come back uh, to this Jewish area, this Jewish territory. And so the text begins, and it says, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. And I remember actually a few years ago reading this text and uh, thinking about this idea that Jesus got in the boat. And uh, it seems like a very normal thing. Uh, but if you read just uh, a little further in Mark, you'll see in, uh, in a story coming up that Jesus walks on water. And I had this thought a few years ago, why would Jesus get in a boat when he has the ability to walk on water? You know, why would he limit himself to... Uh, the things of this world, the limitations of our world, uh, when obviously the, those limitations uh, did not apply to him at certain points. And it got my mind actually just thinking and pondering about how God often embraces the limitations in this world uh, because uh, his greater purpose is actually to be incarnate, to be present, 
uh, to journey with, to be in relationship with his own creation. Uh, and even though this is just a small picture of that, I think it's just worth noting that Jesus, even though he probably didn't have to, chose to transport himself, uh, other than a few exceptions, in the boat with other people, uh, because that is the heart of God to actually get in the boat with us. And we talked about that a few weeks ago, uh, but I'm just reminded of that again, that Jesus does not choose to exercise uh, maybe everything he had at his disposal as being God, but took on the limitations of humanity, the limitations of this world, uh, to be with us, to minister to us. Uh, and that is, uh, we're reminded of that again at the beginning of the story in Mark. So he gets in this boat, uh, he goes across back to the Jewish side, and they came, uh, they, then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, uh, by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. So Jairus is a local religious leader. He, he, he's a leader at one of the local synagogues in the region. And if we know, if we've been following the story of Mark so far, this gospel, we know that the re- religious leaders are increasingly frustrated and in conflict with Jesus. At first they were kind of in awe of him, but as time goes on, religious leaders, religious groups, uh, the Jewish leaders, uh, actually wanted to kill Jesus. They wanted nothing to do with him. And so we see this religious leader uh, probably going against uh, the feelings and the posture of his, uh, of his fellow religious leaders and choosing to go to Jesus because he had a need. And I think often it's in our places of desperation, it's our places of need that we are willing maybe to go to God in a way that we haven't been willing before. You know, maybe we've hung on with stubbornness to, to whatever is happening. We didn't want to change. We didn't want to humble ourselves. Um, but desperation, actually, uh, we, we often respond in two ways. One, we, one way is maybe we dig our heels in and we say, you know, I'm not going to change. I'm not going to change my stance. Or if we get desperate enough, we begin to humble ourselves and we bend a knee and we, get, we come to God in a different kind of posture. And we see that this man, Jairus, uh, was in a desperate situation. He had a dying daughter. And that situation was enough for maybe him to rethink uh, everything that he thought about Jesus. It maybe was enough for him to not necessarily follow the crowd or his, uh, his fellow religious leaders, his comrades, and just do things and think things because that's the way they were uh, posturing themselves. But he said, no, I am going to put myself out there. I'm going to Jesus. Desperate times call for desperate measures. And maybe... Uh, you're in a place like that today where you're in a desperate situation, you're in a desperate time, and you might be looking to Jesus uh, in a new way, in a way that you haven't before, uh, looking for him to rescue, to help, to heal. And this is uh, the situation that Jairus is in. So Jairus comes to Jesus and he says, uh, come lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live and went with him. So Jesus goes with him. and, and Jairus invites Jesus to make her well. And the word that is used for well here is the word that we translate uh, for saved, uh, for healed, for rescued. Uh, it's, the word, it's the word sozo, saved, healed, delivered, restored. And this word has so many, uh, it has so much depth to it. And it's applied in lots of different ways in scripture. And here in this context, Jairus is using it in a way uh, uh, referring to the physical healing or restoration for his daughter, Uh, who is about to die. Uh, And so the scene is intense, it's desperate, 
and and Jesus responds. He goes with Jairus, and then uh, we see that the story is interrupted. The story is interrupted with another story, and this is what scholars refer to as a Markin sandwich, where Mark t- actually takes uh, one story and puts it in the middle of a bigger story. Uh, and this is what happens. A great crowd followed him and thronged about him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. And to put this in context, uh, the word, uh, this just discharge, this bleeding that's happening, the word that's being used is likely in reference uh, to menstrual bleeding, that this has been happening for this woman for 12 years. And to put that in greater context, if we understand what this meant for the Jewish people at that time, you go to their, uh, their Mosaic law, the Old Testament law, in Leviticus 15, uh, verse 25, it says, When a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time other than her monthly period, or has a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge, just as in the days of her period. Twelve years. For 12 years, this woman has not been allowed to attend a religious gathering with her faith community. For 12 years, her own family uh, has not interacted with her. She has not been touched by a person, by a human being. Uh, she's been isolated from family, been isolated for communi- from her community. And on top of that, uh, she is living in light of this rejection, uh, you, can, you can imagine the shame that has just piled up on this woman for 12 years. And Mark wants us to be clear and to see that this situation is severe. Um, this, this word suffering, uh, it, it's, it, it's, it's used to, to describe and refer to being whipped, lashed, being tormented. And there's an element of shame that is actually even included in this word that this is a serious tormenting issue that has caused her great suffering. And not only that, uh, but she has suffered under, under the care of, much, of many physicians. She's gone to get help, but doctors were not able to help her. In fact, it probably made things worse. And she had spent all that she had. She's poor. She was desperate. She spent her money trying to get well, and she was uh, now left with nothing. And despite all of her efforts, instead of things getting better, they were increasingly worse. So this is the situation of the woman. And on top of it, this woman does not even get a name. You know, Jairus has a name. You know, Jairus is a religious leader. He comes to Jesus face to face. And this woman who is nameless, who has shame, comes to Jesus from behind uh, because she feels so much shame, uh, doesn't even get a name. And I don't know if you've had experiences in your life that have actually come to, um, come to name you. In some ways, they've become your identity. You know, this woman referred to probably as the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. The woman who's unclean. Her name has been taken from her, and her identity has actually, uh, is actually marked by her own painful experiences. Maybe you feel like you've had painful experiences that have so marked you that they've actually just become a part of who you are. And this is uh, where this woman finds herself. And, and so she had heard the reports about Jesus. She heard about his power, the things that he'd been doing, and, and she came up behind him, like I said. She doesn't even have the, 
the confidence to go to Jesus face to face like Jairus, she comes up behind him in the crowds and touches his garment. For, for she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And again, the word being used here is the word sozo. That God will rescue me, that he will heal me of what is happening to me physically. And I think sometimes uh, we lack confidence to come to Jesus face to face, even though in the book of Hebrews it tells us that we, have, we can have all confidence of going to, going to God because of what Jesus has done for us. Uh, but sometimes we lack that confidence. And, and uh, maybe even in this season, uh, you in some ways are sneaking in from behind as we are doing church online. And you, know, you don't even have to go to church to actually explore faith, to learn about Jesus, to, to be a part of a worship service. And, and, and Jesus welcomes all people. And, uh, and so I just, whatever faith you have, I, I, I just thank you for engaging and taking the risk of, of leaning in online um, and sneaking in from behind. And I trust that you'll be surprised and blessed uh, by the power and the presence of Jesus in your life. So this woman's desperate. She wants to be made well. She wants to be a sozoed. She wants to be restored. Um, and so she reaches out to touch the garment of Jesus. Uh, Jesus is walking. She, Jesus isn't even aware of her, and she reaches out to touch him. <clears throat> and immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself the power that had gone out from him, immediately turned about uh, in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And so Mark wants us to be clear that this is a physical healing. She physically reached out to touch him, and physically in her body, uh, she could sense that she was healed and her, her flow, her blood had dried up. And we parallel this with what has happened to Jesus. So Jesus physically feels that power has gone out from him as this woman has received healing touch from Jesus. This, my friends, is the gospel, the good news in a nutshell. And it says in Isaiah 53 that by his wounds we are healed. That Jesus actually loses something. That he becomes powerless. That, that he suffers. That there's an exchange that happens in, in this moment. Uh, but that's the invitation for every one of us to actually touch Jesus, to have an encounter with Jesus where we experience the life that he has to give. And that life has been given to us because it has been because he had suffered and he became weak and he died uh, the the death that he did on a cross for our sakes by his wounds we are healed by his wounds we are restored by his wounds we are saved and so Jesus experienced this come out of him as this woman experiences the life of God come into her and she's healed but she's not fully healed Watch what happens next. The disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. The, you know, the disciples are, are just bewildered. Like, Jesus, what are you talking about? You're, there's hundreds of people around you. Everybody's touching you. Everybody's, uh, you know, they, they just seem, they just, it seems like this is a ridiculous situation. Uh, and Jesus knows that something has happened. There's been a specific person that has touched him, that has been healed, that power has gone out from him. And and it makes us wonder, why would Jesus make a scene out of this? I'm assuming Jesus actually has a pretty good idea of what's happened. Why would Jesus try and mount more public shame on this woman who has been isolated and shamed for 12 years? Her body has been healed, and this is why, what I think is happening. Her body's been healed, yes, but 
The presenting problem is the only thing that's been healed. There's much more that has yet to be healed. There's much more healing that needs to happen. Her loneliness, her social rejection, her shame, the humiliation of after 12 years. You know, she wanted something. She wanted a cure, but Jesus wanted someone. I hope you see the difference. She wanted something. She wanted healing in her body. But Jesus is not content just to give healing. His main priority is the person, is the whole person. And in the kingdom of God, miracle leads to meeting. Miracle leads to meeting. What Jesus is doing in her body is just the first step to the full restoration and healing that he wants to bring. And so Jesus actually identifies this woman and what she's done, not because what she did was wrong, but because what she did was so right. He actually takes the opportunity publicly to acknowledge this woman and what she's done. And, and, and obviously everybody who is aware of her situation knows that they were probably touched by her as she came through the crowd and they were likely now unclean. And Jesus wants them to know that this woman touched you uh, and it doesn't mean you're unclean. She touched me and she has become clean. Jesus actually makes clean those whom he touches. And so he takes his opportunity to liberate this woman, uh, not just physically, but relationally, socially, emotionally, mentally. And he fully heals her, restores her, rescues her, rescues her, saves her. So the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, using this term of endearment, your daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Go in shalom. And I've talked about that word a lot. Go, and, and, and the word in here actually means into. Go into shalom. Start living out uh, this new life in right relationship with God and others and the world around you. And be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And so we see right here that if you remember the Jairus daughter story, this was sitting in the background and, and we should be listening to this, the story of the, the hemorrhaging woman with this, with this tension because it wasn't there this person that was on the verge of dying and Jesus, you were interrupted. And when Jesus turned to the bleeding woman, he was actually turning away uh, directionally from Jairus's daughter. And I don't know if, if you've ever thought about the limitations uh, that God actually put himself in when he came in the person of Jesus. I remember uh, years ago going to Mexico and uh, there were some students that were going to join us in Mexico uh, after we had already got down there and it was my role to kind of go to the border and pick up the students uh, who, who their parents uh, were flying down with them and there was going to be this exchange. And I remember going to the Mexican border I was on the Tijuana side, and they were crossing over, uh, and, and I was on my cell phone, and I said, hey, this is where I am, and they were like, hey, this is where we are, and I'm like, I can't, you know, this is the building that we're at. And I remember saying, well, I don't see that building anywhere, and I said, this is the sign that I'm near, and they said, I don't see that sign anywhere, uh, and we start describing, like, uh, you know, people, cars, buildings, trying to figure out where we are, and nothing that I was seeing, they were seeing, and then it, it kind of hit me. I was like, which border did you cross? And it turns out that they had crossed a different Mexican border than the one that I was at. 
Uh, and so I get in my uh, I get in my rental, and it's a rental. Don't be gentle. Uh, and I, I'm ripping through the the Tijuana area and have to uh, go out to, to the countryside and and get there and try and find them. Eventually, I found them. Uh, but I don't know if you've ever experienced, uh, and I'm sure you have, these moments where you are stuck in time and space, and there's nothing you can you you can do to rewind it. You're like, if I could go back, I would obviously go a different route, or I'd ask more clarifying questions, or I would I would make sure that we're going to the same border. Uh, you know, that that's just the you know, just a tiny, irrelevant kind of example, but uh, there's extreme examples in our lives where if we could rewind the tape, if we could go back, we would make different choices. If we, uh, if, if God would actually show up a little bit sooner than he did, maybe things would be different. And I titled the sermon, When God is Too Late, because uh, I do think there's times in our lives where God shows up too late. This is a story where it happens where Jesus does not show up in time. Jesus responds. He says, But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. Only believe. So Jesus didn't make it in time. This girl dies, as we're going to see in a second. Uh, But his encouragement to Jairus is to... Uh, do not fear, but only believe. And, and this word believe is in the present tense, and it means trust. It means keep on trusting, keep on believing. Hold on to faith rather than give in to despair. When you see no way out, when things look impossible, when things look irreversible, when it appears that God is too late, keep on trusting, keep on believing. Even though in the limitations of this world, you might not see any way in space and time that God could actually make this situation any different. He seems too late, too far gone. Jesus says, keep on believing. Don't give in to despair. Hang on to hope. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John and the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And so they, actually in this time, they would hire professional mourners. And this is what happened. This, this girl was it was already dead long enough that they had hired professional mourners that had come to the house and that were mourning with the family. So she was dead. Make no mistake about it. And we had, when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and he took the, child, uh, and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. You know, sleep in the New Testament is referred to, uh, you know, death is referred to as sleep. And Jesus here is, refer- is using the term sleep to refer to her death. And, and so, is she asleep? Yes. Is she dead? Yes. The, the mourners in the family don't have it wrong. But Jesus is re-diagnosing death as no longer terminal. He is re-diagnosing death as no longer t- terminal. And we, when we are people that keep on believing and keep on trusting, we may be mocked. You see that Jesus was mocked and he was laughed at. Uh, and, and we know that in 1 Corinthians it says that the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. This world does not actually understand the good news and the hope that we have because of what Jesus has done. And so sometimes our hope makes us look foolish. And so Jesus is being mocked. But this is why Jesus says to, to Jairus, keep trusting, keep believing, even though you might think that this is irreversible, that I was too late, I'm not. Nothing is irreversible in the kingdom of God. And so taking her by the hand, he said to her, 
Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And so the first word here, rise, is the Greek word that means to wake up from sleep. So he's saying, little girl, wake up from your sleep. And then it says that she got up. And the second word used is not the, the word used for waking up from your sleep. It's the word used to describe the resurrection of Jesus. And so here we see a foreshadow of the resurrection of Jesus in the story with Jairus' daughter. The resurrection is the future that Jesus wants us to see, that death is only temporary, that death is no longer terminal, that, that death represents the limitations of this world that is unavoidable in our, in our human experience. And, and Jesus is saying here, and he's showing us here in the miracle story, that God's kingdom is beyond the limitations that we often perceive and understand. Don't stop believing. Keep faithing. Keep trusting. And he strictly discharged them that no one should know this and told them to keep her to, or to give her something to eat. And so just a couple of I, things I want to say as we close. Um, that the, there's a parallel here between Jairus' daughter and the woman who was bleeding. Uh, the one had been bleeding for 12 years. The daughter had, uh, was 12 years old. And, and the commentators have noticed that both of these stories have to do uh, not only with uh, with pain and suffering and death, but also with the potential of giving life. And so we know the nature of the woman who was bleeding situation would have made her unfit to bear children. We know that the 12-year-old girl was at the age where she would have uh, been uh, given in marriage. And death actually uh, meant the end of life, not just for them, uh, but also maybe for the life that they would bring into the world. And Jesus heals them, but he doesn't just heal them. He restores their capacity to be life bringers. And last week we talked about how God saves us from something, but he also saves us for something. And here we see that Jesus saves these women uh, from their situation, but he also gives them the opportunity and the capacity to, be, to bring life into the world. And so I don't know where you might find yourself. Uh, whether you feel confidence in approaching Jesus from the front like Jairus or where you feel like you've got to come from behind. But I want you to know that whatever way that you feel that you need to come to Jesus, that Jesus is waiting, he's ready, and there's no limitations uh, that are on him. That the kingdom of God is beyond our limitations. And I invite you to submit the perceived limitations you see before God. I invite you to imagine and believe that the places where you think that God has been too late that he is not, or the situations that are irredeemable uh, are actually redeemable. Imagine that God can bring justice, grace, healing, and resurrection. Believe it. Cling to it. Uh, it, it don't give in to fear. Don't give in to despair, but cling on to hope regardless of how hopeless uh, you might feel a certain situation might be. And so we become people, faith-filled, hopeful people that might be mocked in the world around us, but we know that Jesus is beyond space, he's beyond time, and even though he entered the limitations of this world, those limitations could not hold him. Those li limitations in the death on Good Friday uh, couldn't keep him down. That death swallowed him, but death actually couldn't digest him. And he came up three days later in, the resurrected, in his resurrected body, and he speaks to us, get up, 
Death is but sleep. There's hope even beyond the limitations of this world. And so I, I pray that you would experience that hope, that you would be encouraged this morning, no matter your situation, that Jesus comes to heal, restore, to make right, to redeem, to save. And nothing is beyond the grasp of that hope. Amen.